Hi there, fiber friends. Thank you for tuning into the Fiber Artist Podcast today. First things first, I've got a discount for you. If you're new to the podcast and to my fiber shop, you get 20% off at naromastudio.com where we have the best selection of colors and highest quality rope and weaving fibers. Use the code FIBERPOD for 20% off your first order off of naromastudio.com. And now to the good stuff. My guest today is Alyssa Key of Solid DIY. You might recognize Alyssa from her signature style of creating a woven garden of organic and bountiful florals. She works in macrame techniques, crochet and needle felting into her weaving work. It's truly stunning. If you haven't checked her out, go follow her on Instagram at Solib DIY. That's S-O-L-I-P-D-I-Y and online at solibdiy.com. I really love this conversation. We actually chat a little less about the fiber in this episode and we get a bit more personal. Since we are both Korean American, we had some similarities and a lot of differences actually, and we share a lot of stories. So while you might not relate to all of it, I hope you enjoy the stories we tell nonetheless. And without further ado, here's Alyssa. Thanks for joining me today, Alyssa. Uh, I guess before we get into everything, can you go ahead and introduce yourself and let people know where to find you online? Hi, my name is Alyssa, and you can find me at, um, it's Solip DIY, so S-O-L-I-P-D-I-Y. That's my Instagram handle, and then my website is just SolipDIY.com. Awesome. Okay, well, um, I'd love to know, because I've been following you for a really long time. Oh, well, actually, yeah, I'm going to be uh, honest with everybody here. This is our second time recording, because our first time, I think we were both a little bit off. I know I definitely was, because... I had like sprained my ankle the day before and that night before we recorded, and again, I think we recorded kind of early, but um, that night before I got like zero sleep. So I was yeah, like- Yeah, I think you mentioned that. Yeah, my brain was like completely not working. And I'm like, I couldn't think of like follow-up questions. I'm like, and then when I got off the phone with you, I was like, what the hell? Like, what did I even, what were we talking about? And then I was like, wait, I should have asked about this and this and this. So anyway, um, we are recording again. Thank you for giving your time again for this. Um, but yeah, so I'm sure some of this will be repeat from what we talked about before, but all good information. Okay, that said, I would love to know because I've been following you for a while because I remember discovering you on Instagram. I like, I totally remember the first weaving that it was with your floral weavings. And I was like, holy shit, this is super different and I have never seen anything like it. Um, but I just would love to know, like, what is your history and background with with your fi- with finding fiber art? So I guess with fiber art, um, I first started weaving in 2018 and I first like dabbled in a little embroidery and then one of the artists whose embroidery I really liked, Elizabeth Paul. Mm, oh, I, I know, yeah, 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 yeah. I totally. she, um, she posted some weavings and I was like really interested in that aspect. And then I um, found a couple of YouTube videos and just kind of like dove head first and teaching myself and then purchasing classes and kind of going from there. Awesome. So what, what about the embroidery? Like, let's take a step back and even go mm-hmm. back into that. Um, when did you get into that and how did you get into it and what kind of things were you making? I, I, I did it. <laughs> I was interested. That's like what caught my attention. Oh, got you. And then I, I think I made like one little, little guy. Um, I think I made, uh, there's like these old Korean houses called Hanoks mm-hmm. and I wanted to embroider one. And I think the pendant was literally like this big and it took maybe like two hours to embroider something so tiny. And it just, after that experience, it wasn't 
I discovered embroidery wasn't for me. Right. It didn't catch, so. you didn't catch the flame, the same kind of flame you no. did with weaving. Definitely um, not. No. Yeah. So what about, um, so when did you figure out that you wanted to kind of like focus on making floral weavings? So flowers is always something I just, I love floral arrangements. I work full time in events, so I get to see a lot of, a lot of floral arrangements and I wanted to make a piece that was like complete on its own. So something like, I guess you could say fringeless in terms of like the whole weaving would be the floral. Like the aspect. floral vines and leaves. Yeah, yeah, Right, yeah. exactly. Yep. So it would be, the weaving would be the bouquet in its entirety. And I experimented and wanted to create that. And it took a couple of months to really get it down, but. So I cool. think the piece you, yeah, the piece you you found was, I think, my first like real, like three months after starting it, I finally finished it. Oh wow, it. yeah. So it was it was uh, in your brain for a long time. It seems now it makes sense actually. Yeah. Now that you like mention your event work and, um, and that you are looking at florals all the time, and especially with Instagram, even with like the floral, I feel like the floral community exploded too. Um, like I was seeing t- types of arrangements that I've never seen before. I like. My sister would send me all these Instagram accounts because she's super into flowers. I can't even remember them now, but they would, I mean, it was like stuff that you've really never seen. Um, it's interesting. My, installations. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And just like, and like where they would be like abstract, like these abstract arrangements. It's interesting. My mom used to do, have you heard of Ikebana? It's like a jazz. Yes, like. Yeah, when they have like the one or two. Yeah, I guess it's I guess it's I don't even know if it's a style. I know it's Japanese, but um I don't know if it's like a style or a school of arranging or something, but she used to study that. Uh cuz she would do like our our church flower arrangements and she never mm-hmm. wanted it to look like. She's like really snobby in terms of aesthetics. And so I think like she wanted it to look like super like you know, it's like modern 80s. You know what I mean? And so um she would do all the like uh whatever what is it called like with on on like on the pulpit like all those arrangements or whatever but she right yeah i keep on it so anyway um i don't know i'm going off on a tangent but um uh yeah so um t- uh tell me like when you have you always been sort of a creative person i i would say yes um when i was younger i did a lot of creative writing and then i actually my sister taught me how to like make beaded jewelry and then i ended up going to school for photography so i would say in terms of like that side of the brain or in terms of being creative, I have definitely fallen on that end of the spectrum. Yeah. So did you eventually, you went to school for photography? Like you majored in photography? I did. That's so did. cool. Um, how did that see, see, for me, that's like so interesting as an, as a fellow Asian, as a fellow Korean American, um, like when I was in high school, I never even saw that as a possibility. Was that something that like you were supported through? And like, how did you even come up with, knowing that that existed i mean like my i I, like grew up in the midwest so it was like i just didn't see creative careers at all even though yes we had you know we had newspapers and i knew people were photographers but i just like didn't see it as like a viable career path what um what sort of gave you that idea and when did you even pick up photography so i have an older sister she's eight years older than me and she's my absolute hero Mm -hmm. and i think it was like in middle school we were just sitting down and I was um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do or what I wanted to go to school for. Um, and she was like, you like photography. You like to travel. Why don't you just go to photojournalism? And I was like, you're right. And that's just and that what was I it? for. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's, that's so all, funny. All, all, I, all I needed was for her to say that to me because she's 
my favorite person in the world and I worship her. Yeah. So I was like, done. I'm going to go to school for photography. Oh my gosh. And my parents, I mean, my parents were down. They were like, you know, they pretty much um, supported me in whatever I did. And in that, I mean, I ended up, it's so with, um, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but in terms of like, my parents are extremely supportive, but I ended up essentially doing everything on my own. Like, it's not like I didn't, like, I didn't get help in terms of like helping um, apply to schools or any of that. I did that all. Yeah. But whatever choice I decided to go with, they're 100% behind. Isn't that funny? Like, I feel like nowadays <laughs> parents are basically like doing their applications for their kids. <laughs> my parents didn't do shit. They didn't. Right. Like, they had no idea what I was doing. And I'm I'm the same. Like I have an older sister. She's five years older than me. And it's the same thing. Like I've I like always idolized her and like whatever path she took, I sort of tried to take the same path. And like right. like we went to the same schools. We both went to Northwestern. And um I swear to God, it's the only reason I got in. I think it's because they like <laughs> they I feel like they favor siblings, right? So um I don't think I would have gotten in had she not gotten there before. But um yeah, man, it's like that power in a way, it's like this weird power of suggestion kind of thing. But like, so did you end up studying photography in high school and like were you practicing it no oh really <laughs> yeah essentially i had like a baby dslr that okay. I took pictures of like my family with my friends but um it's not something i like pursued heavily in high school i just went for it in college so did you when you got into school like you didn't apply as a photography major you were just like i did you did did you have to provide mm-hmm. did you have to send in a portfolio or anything like that not the school I ended up going to, okay. actually. Where did you go? RIT in Rochester, New York. Oh, okay. Uh, is that Rochester? What's IT? Institute of Technology. It's, okay, okay. That's so. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great photography school. Awesome. Yeah. So then did you, and then you end up graduating with a photography major? I did. did... And photojournalism. Oh, photojournalism. So. Okay. So did mm-hmm. you want to, after you graduated, did you pursue that at all or yeah, so I actually, I graduated a little early um, because I had so many high school credits going in and to kind of, I had to pay out-of-state tuition. Mm. So to save my parents money and myself money, I ended up graduating almost a year early. And then I found an internship at, this is why I moved to Jersey City, actually, at the Jersey Journal. Oh, I found a nine-month internship, nice. um, getting paid 300 bucks a week. And I did that. I worked the late shift, so from essentially... 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. 2 to 10. That, that was my shift. Okay. And I wow. drove everywhere in Hudson County. So I covered everything from like breaking news to high school football games to like real estate shots, everything in between. And it was, it was pretty life changing. Um, I discovered I didn't want to do news photography after that internship. Yeah. But I learned a lot. How long so, was that? Nine months. Nine and months. then I freelanced for a little, like on and off. Okay. After. What do you think? What what about? Because it sounds so like actually it sounds really exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, because like just going around taking pictures and you're meeting so many different people and seeing what's actually happening in the world, which is very right. It's like very opposite my current life. I realize you know like if I want to be in a bubble, I can be in a bubble and not look at anything and not know what's happening in the world. Um, but what about that? Did you feel like you didn't like about it? I think it's just like the the lifestyle. Mm. I mean, I was like at the prime. You know, I was like what. 20 like in terms of peak energy and everything but it was um it's just not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life even though 
it definitely made me fall in love with Jersey City. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, it's and cool. I, we have we've got that Jersey City connection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I lived there for eight years. I think we probably had a, a couple years overlap. Um, I was there from 2008 to 2017. It's nine years. Um, yeah. yeah, we had a little bit of a lot. I started working there in 2012. Okay. So I, my first year was when I covered um, the mayoral election. Oh, wow. And then it was just, yeah, it was really intense. And something I never knew from my city back home. I grew up in Virginia, which I'm sure people are very active there. But in Jersey City, like so many people are community driven and active like every single neighborhood has an association and it was just really inspirational to see how many people really cared um and being a photographer and a newspaper photographer with credentials like it it gave me access to a lot of things that i wouldn't i definitely wouldn't have seen otherwise so yeah yeah um but what so what you said the lifestyle kind of turned you off about it was it just too much running around i think that's (laughs) what it was especially especially for the for the night shift so I'd like drive from Bayonne to North Bergen to all across and I'd eat trail mix in my car. It's oh, so exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That reminds me of like um, when I was uh, I'm trying to think of when this was. It was between I, I used to work in corporate advertising. No. OK, so first I was working in PR for museums. Mm-hmm. I did that for like two or three years out of grad school. And then I quit that to go work in corporate advertising and I did that for three years and I hated it so much I was like how do I get out of this I like needed an out really bad um and so I'm like I think what I want to do is work in fashion styling which is like which I discovered I this was probably when I was like 25 or 26 and I so I took this course at FIT um which is the fashion institute of technology in New York and um and I like took a few assistant jobs and it and I realized that that job really just consists of running around town with suitcases, like literally picking up clothes. And it, I'm just too poor to take cabs. So I was just like, um, Getting you know, your stuff you, in. yeah, yeah. Just like literally taking the stuff on the subway, um, full suitcases full of like designer clothing and bags and jewelry. And it, it was so hard. And I was just like, I, I can't live like this. Like, I'm too old. I felt too old at 26 to be able to live like that. But it was legit like hard, like really, really hard. And it was like the dead of summer, I remember. And I was just like, oh, I can't do this. So I tried that for a year. And then and then I ended up going back to my PR job. But um, anyway, yes, that reminds me. You have to think about lifestyle and what works best for you for sure. Um, so now um, you say you're working in events. Is, and this is your mm-hmm. is this your full-time job? Yes, it is. Awesome. And so how do you balance that with all the weaving you're doing? So essentially, I mean, I think with COVID in the last two years, that has definitely changed. But before, I would weave either at night, early in the morning, or on the weekends. Okay. Um, and actually, I guess this was – and it was like pure – hobby at the time, um, Correct. which I'm not saying is totally different now because I understand it is your side hustle and it's mm-hmm. going to stay a side hustle. But even now, like, um, I like, do you, so how do you, how do you balance it with like commissions and everything like that? Like, are you taking fewer of them? Are you taking a step back? Like when you need to, how is it, how are you not getting overwhelmed? I definitely take fewer. And then I gave, I give like very generous lead times. Like okay. this is not something I, I'm already a really slow weaver and that it takes me forever to weave one piece. So um, I usually estimate like 
a couple months for people. I lower their expectations. And if I get to it faster, then great. But mostly um, people have been very understanding. I had quite a list going actually the end of 2019, which turned into, wait, wait a minute. I had quite a list the end of 2020. And then when we rolled into 2021, I had so much energy and then so much life happened. Um, so my mom actually got a little sick around February and that just really tore down my trajectory. And then yeah. they really piled up. Um, and I finally got through that list maybe um, two months ago and started taking on new commissions from there. But I mean, I had people waiting months. Yeah, I know. And it's hard to car- <laughs> to carry that burden on top of, I'm sure, you know, whatever was going on with your mom. Is your mom okay now? Yes, she's great. Okay. Um, but it was definitely, I, you know, wrote a lot of apology emails. Um, ultimately, people were really understanding. That's good. So, <laughs> um, so I was very fortunate. Yeah, very fortunate. Well, I mean, you know, like, how can people not be understanding for something like that? You know what I mean? So did you have to go, did you take time off of your day job? Yeah. And um, you stayed with your mom? Correct. So my um, my older sister and I actually flew down for like um, most of February to stay with her, which luckily I was able to do with like arrange it through my work and they were super supportive. So that's good. Oh, and also, I guess by this point, we're all most people are working from home anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, okay. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So how did life sort of change with the pandemic for you and with the balance of dealing with your weaving work and, and your day job? Right. I mean, essentially, like, you know, the industry I'm in, it was an absolute bloodbath starting right. in March last year. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, were people, so were you furloughed or how did that work for you? I was. Um, I was working up until July full time and then I was furloughed on reduced hours. So still employed, just um, working a lot less per week, which definitely freed up my time to focus more on weaving. And luckily weaving is something you can do from home. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I did that for a little bit and then came back full time once restrictions kind of lessened and the vaccine came out. So. Okay. Um, Cool. Wait, so what kind of what kind of events do you guys do? So I work for like a small venue management company and I run two venues. So I essentially handle everything from like initial inquiry up to contract. So we have clients, we do like fashion shows, we do conferences. Um, both the spaces are pretty large. Mm-hmm. Are, they, well. are they all in Manhattan? Correct. Both of them are in Manhattan. Awesome. It sounds fun. It is. It's (laughs) definitely, it's really interesting to see it from the point of view of a venue. And so I can see how the space is transformed by people. Um, Definitely seen some cool things. And people do really creative things out of so, um, like these concepts that people take. It's, It's it's really cool, actually. Yeah. Um, wait, so does that make, uh, do you have to work a lot of weekends then? Like weekend events? Or is it mostly just during uh, the week? I do. I don't. I mean, my position is really rare in events in that I sh- I pretty much work nine to five. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was thinking, I mean, if, if, like people doing weddings or even corporate events mm-hmm. oftentimes end up having to work weekends. So that's awesome that you don't have to. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's definitely very rare. Yeah, it's very rare in events. Um, 
but it works out perfectly in terms of weaving because it does like afford me the time to totally. do it. And with the day job and everything, do your parents like, I don't know, with mine, they're always like, don't get too tired, especially when I was doing both. Okay. So when I was doing full-time day job, full-time making, it was like, you know, it took, it really took a toll. Does it, um, I guess I'm just wondering, like, do they, do they worry about you in that sense? Like, are they like, do you, do they feel, or do you feel like, you know, one thing ever has to give or not? No, I don't think so. I don't. I also don't think they particularly know like the extent of my mm. weaving. Okay. Like they know it's something I love to do and that I do and that I own like a room full of yarn. But I think beyond that, they're not. They just don't know. <laughs> yeah. They don't know how much time it takes up. Or um, like my mom owns a piece of mine and she will go out and she'll buy yarn for me. But in terms of. I, I don't think they're aware, but I think like, it's funny. So even with, when I was doing the photography um, at the paper, she, my mom would be worried about like me being out in the elements and especially at night, camera and, at night, I, yeah, I was exactly. even thinking, oh my God, that's so dangerous in Jersey city right. too. Like right. nighttime in Jersey city is not like, it is, it's scary, especially in certain areas. It's like pretty dangerous. So they, but I mean, ultimately they're kind of like, it's your life. We trust you to make, your decisions and if you need anything let us know but otherwise they're pretty um i guess hands off yeah would be the best term i'm also older now right so it is it's like you make your decisions right right right. yeah exactly and they have to let go they've kind of yeah they've kind of always trusted me um with those things so that's good you're lucky even as the are you are you the youngest kid I am. I mean, we have, I have a younger cousin, sister. She's, she's our, she's my cousin, but um, my family adopted her and oh, wow. she's younger than me, but she's also, she's like 25. So. Right. Right. Did she, did they adapt her when you guys were really little or how, what, what happened? Yeah, she was, um, she was 11. Mm-hmm. So um, her parents, basically her whole family came to America and then they ended up, um, going back to Korea and she wanted to stay. So we ended up adopting her and my parents have essentially raised her since she was 11. Oh, wow. And she is, she's amazing. We, we call her the favorite. She's, oh yes. So really yeah, you're like a middle child. One. Exactly. I feel like a middle child. Even yeah. Though she came into our lives a little later. She, um, she's the one that like calls us being like, yo, you really have to call your parents. Like, you, you should really check up on them because they talk pretty often. And oh, she's really? Just, yeah, I think she's they've like perfected their parenting on her. Yeah. She's seriously amazing. That's so funny. I always think if I had a third, I could perfect my parenting. Yeah, yeah exactly. One, totally. Like everything they learned. Yeah. She's she's seriously so great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So it sounds like you have a really good relationship with um all of your and I'll call them all sisters. Mm-hmm. Um that's great. Are they all in the New Jersey area? So my sister actually lives in Brooklyn. My older sister lives okay. in Brooklyn. My younger sister lives in um like the DC area. Nice. Cool. Um, and oh, yeah. And back to the immigrant story, because like when we recorded mm-hmm. last time, you had mm-hmm. you had a really cool story to share about your parents um, and how they they met and immigrated. Can you let us know? It's just it's fun. Yeah. So my parents, I think like. In terms of um, like their impact on me, I think immigrant guilt is very real. Like when you have parents who went through so much to come here, like you kind of feel the impact of that. 
So I think it's a testament to how supportive they are in terms of like, I went, I went to photography. I took an internship that, that paid so little right out of school, my very expensive school. Um, but throughout the whole time, like they had my back. But in terms of like them, so my parents met when they were very young. They met at a factory making candy. Um, they both, like my mom was the oldest of her siblings. My dad's the youngest. But they met when they were probably like 18, 19. They got pregnant. They ran away together to Jeju-do, which is an island off of Korea. Um, and my mom essentially had my sister at home. They were so broke. And then my mom ran like an actual, like a, like a snack stand like mm-hmm. on the ocean and she says she like refuses my my dad wants to um move back there when they retire because he actually still keeps in touch with his friends um but my mom's like the place reminds her of so many sad things that Aww. she doesn't want to go back right but did did that um affect i mean do did they end up cutting ties with their parents because they had to run away they i mean essentially i guess they I don't know all the details, but they ran away. My um, grandfather found them, brought them back, and then they ran away forever, oh, essentially. No. When to, they moved to the States? No, to the island. Oh, okay. Digital. I mean, I, I'm assuming they ended up um, reconciling because I did, you know, see my grandfather later on. Um, okay. But my, what had happened was my, um, my father, he had an older sister who married an American um, who brought her to the States. She actually ended up bringing her mother and both her brothers over. And my dad had um, had that passage to go, but my mom was actually pregnant with my older brother that she actually ended up miscarrying. So when my mom got pregnant, she, he decided to stay in stay in uh, Korea. And then when she, when she miscarried, he was like, so like it was so life-changing that he yeah. decided to come to america okay that's kind of that was kind of like the catalyst of it actually and then he worked and then brought my sister and my mom over oh wow yeah, yeah. what a crazy story a story. Yeah. so you did end up knowing both of your grandparents um i guess a little i mean who knows when it's when they're still over there and and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff it's hard to know them but yeah i did i um well, i had a grandparent on either side okay um, who were still living while i was growing up who i got to see nice did they live with you guys on and off, yeah. Yeah. I definitely think my childhood was like revolving door of um, family members and friends. And I definitely had a very open household and like childhood that way. So like those things don't necessarily phase me. Like having people in and out, like opening up my home, that sort of thing. It's so funny. My... um it just reminds me because my we sort of had that too. Like my cousins lived with us for a while. My grandma lived with us for a while, and mm-hmm. then they'd they'd go exactly. over to like another cousin's or another aunt and mm-hmm. uncle's house. Um, but this same thing happened with my husband. So he's Russian J- Jewish, right? And mm-hmm. they came over when he was three through like a Jewish organization. And um, so by when they were here, of course, they felt you know his parents felt the need to like open their house to basically every like every person tr- trying to like transition into be um, into living here. And he's he was so resentful. He says he remembers being like eight years old, and like he said he'd be like, "Who are all these strangers in our house?" <laughs> like constant. He said it was like a constant revolving door. He did not take to it well, which yeah. is funny because now oh, he's like such an introvert. <laughs> funny, I, I can definitely relate to that. Um... My dad pretty much 
he's just so generous. He says he got so much help when he came mm-hmm. that once he hears a story, he like can't help but pass it or like pay it for it essentially. Um, but it's interesting. I feel like my, my partner is, um, he's Polish. He immigrated here when he was seven. And I found that even though he isn't Korean, like we find a lot of parallels in terms of our childhoods having immigrant parents yeah. um, and being essentially like parentified when we're younger in terms of like doing all the paperwork for them and translating. And I was really um, like pleasantly surprised to learn that we had so much in common. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know exactly what you mean. I felt the same mm-hmm. thing. Like I was like, is this going to be too different? Is our our, our are our cultures going to be too different? And they are different in a lot of ways. But in terms of like the family, sort of like the family right. tightness, it is, it's very similar for sure. Um, so how did you and your partner meet? We actually met at the paper. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so yeah. have you been together for a while? We have. I mean, we didn't um, start dating until after our internships were over. But that that is where we met. I uh, took pictures and he wrote so okay oh cute you were both interns did you start um wait did you say sorry i i blinked out for a minute did you say you started dating after or while you were yes, there oh yeah. after we like we like reconnected afterwards okay that's awesome did you feel a spark when you first met him or were you like whatever well he was seeing someone okay so i wouldn't say there was any initial like interest there just because when you're introduced to someone and you find out that they're dating someone it's like Right, you're trying to shut that part I, off. Just yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even think that was an option. So yeah. So how did it then rekindle? Yeah, he asked me out to lunch, and, and at the lunch, it. I discovered they had broken up. Yeah, <laughs> and that's all it took. <laughs> exactly. Nice. So when he asked you out, was he like, was it with the intention to see? I have no idea. You don't know. Don't you didn't so. talk about it. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, we used to work um, Saturday shifts together. Which means like I would pick him up and we drive around and I don't know, I think we were I mean, we were really good friends. Yeah. Um, oh, you were like legitimate we, friends. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's nice. Um, so then how long oh, so how long have you guys been together? Gosh. On and off for like eight years. Oh wow, nice. <laughs> are you ready for the next step or are you guys just chilling? I would say we're making moves to the next step. Yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> I mean, good if that's what you want to do. Good. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, I mean, is there anything else you want to share about your your weaving journey or um, or even your personal journey? Like, I know uh, you had gone a little bit quiet off of Instagram for a while, and I've seen you pop back did, up yeah. recently. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think with – I know people use this word too much to discover that like talk about the last two years, but unprecedented, like we are in a very historic time right now and kind of navigating that um, was difficult and that, but luckily like I have the luxury of not having to keep up on social media for, you know, to live Mm -hmm. for work. Um, So I could afford to, to lay low for a little bit. I just, I didn't know what to, what to post like after what went down with my mom and the um all the asian hate crimes and i just i just didn't have like the capacity to do it um yeah. but i've definitely popped like i think i posted maybe like once a month over the summer and then i think finally i posted like twice last month so i'm, I'm getting there i'm getting back on um 
but it was definitely a, a privilege to be able to do that. Yeah. To keep yeah. yeah. No, I know. It's so crazy. It's so hard too with the news today. It's like, it's like the the whole structure of it is, I don't know. It's very frustrating because it feels insurmountable. The way that we're fed news, the way that we consume it, even with Asian hate crimes, like I, I was glad to see that at least I was seeing the news of it and that it was, that people were more aware of what was going on. Um, but then I don't know. It's like, we're, it, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Just because, because everything is, it's, it's all about clickbait, right? Like every headline now, and you used to work in the news. I mean, I think you worked in the news when it was a time when it was like real, when it was like not completely, I mean, it was for profit. Like, you know, we don't have only like a, you know, we have PBS or whatever. Um, but like, I feel like with everything being a for-profit entity, even my regular news sources, I it's hard to even trust those nowadays because I'm like, why are you sharing this? This is so stupid. You know, and you realize it's just like a, it's a jazzy headline or whatever. Like even in the New York Times, I'm like, why are you doing this? You know, I worked in PR. So I'm like, I've had a huge respect for the news for such a long time. And now you just see so many things that are like, they're literally just there for your clicks. And I, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's very frustrating for me as, a human on this earth <laughs> and in this world. Um, but yeah, it's hard. Like, does, does, I don't know. Does, yeah. Like just the bubble. I like, think there's just, right. I think there's just so many sources of where you can get your content now that people are fighting for your attention mm-hmm. and they're trying to do that in whatever way is possible. Um, and I think in terms of like the New York Times and like Washington Post, like these are institutions who've had years of, I guess, reputation that they're falling back on. Um, but ultimately, like you consume what you choose to consume and you like you read what you choose to read and what you surround yourself with. And I think that is, um, you know, we're just we're all trying to get by, right? <laughs> no, I know. And it's hard. And like even on my Facebook, I realize that I get most of my news from Facebook just because I don't want to go to go click on 20 different news sites. Um, but what I've stopped doing is clicking on any of them, like none of them, because, you know, each click you do which what whichever way it sways is what you're going to get more of right so right. like most of mine is washington post and new york times um but like i'll see because i live in i live in sussex county which is like a super red area and um you know like and a lot of the people who live here are whatever fox news people and so i'll see stuff that they comment on and it's always infuriating but like um you know, I so I I'm I think I'm seeing both sides sometimes, but um yeah, I've just decided like I'm gonna scroll and I'll read a headline, but I'm gonna keep scrolling. I'm not clicking on anything anymore because I feel like that's the only way. It's like almost the only way to to live with any kind of sanity now. Right. right. You know what I mean? To get like to get Facebook off your back a little. Kind of, <laughs> but at the same time, it's the only where this the only place I'm going for my news headlines and that's the thing i guess i'm not intentionally seeking news right like right. i mean i'll be honest like since biden took office i just stopped paying a lot of attention because it was taking up too much space and energy like following the whole trump era from like from 2016 to 2020 it was just like i you know it was like a non-stop barrage and mm-hmm. like i mean that's what made those companies money to be honest like he was the best thing for the newspapers, they all made money because of him. You know what I mean? And now I see them like continuing to post Trump stuff because they're 
still trying to get clicks because they need to make money. And I get it, but it's like this vicious cycle, you know? It's really hard. It's just hard to know. I mean, it's, I don't think it's hard for me to know what's truth, but it's so hard for people to distinguish what is. Yeah. I would you know. advise people to um, like hyper focus on, on local news, like support yeah. your local newspaper and like really see what's going on in like your school board meetings or your local council meetings. Cause I think that's what that affects you the most in terms so of like, your day to day life. So true. And it kind of gives you perspective. And then from there you can kind of go farther out. So that's what I would recommend. Um, I mean, ultimately like we all live in our little bubbles, right? Like, yeah. like I live in Northern New Jersey in a really diverse area and I work in New York city, which is another really diverse area. So um, I, don't see as much of both sides as in terms of like my Facebook or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah. I know it's interesting because I think, um, you know, you're absolutely right that that is mm-hmm. more of what matters than anything else. And we sit there getting right. infuriated about federal stuff that is 99% not going to do anything to your regular life. It's so crazy because I've watched my, my father-in-law become like pure, like full QAnon. Um, and like that's intense. <laughs> it's so intense. Like they can't even when they just moved, but they, they were in Brooklyn. They just moved to Texas. And um uh with them also being Russian, you know, I know they're super anti-liberal just because they're so so scared of communism coming to the United States. And I get that. I totally get that. It's like the Russians and the Cubans are never gonna be liberals. It's just the way it is. Um and but because like they retired, they basically retired in 2020, like with the pandemic. And um, and then they had all this time to just sit on their on their computers and go down the YouTube rabbit holes that just kept right. feeding up. But when I say he's gone full QAnon, I mean, he's gone full conspiracy in general, like uh, chemtrails he believes in. And like, I'm sure he believes the whole like um, whatever Pizzagate stuff and I mean, we just can't, I can't talk about it. We He comes over and we'll be like, don't, let's not, like, I tell my husband before they come, like, let's stay off of politics. No politics, nothing. Um, and like, we won't. And then he'll bring something up randomly out of the blue. And we're like, no, we weren't even talking about that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, we'll be talking about our yard or something. And he'll go, you know, Biden's going to make it. So there's poor people living in your backyard, right? That they're going to build, they're going to build apartments in your backyard. My, like my literal backyard, which is the woods. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like he just has gone so crazy. And there's like no reining it in. There's no reining it in because he has time. Right. And I think this is, I think the pandemic did that for a lot of people actually. It was like too much time um, and too much, too many algorithms on the internet that only give you one thing, you know? So ah, it's tough Slippery stuff. slope. <laughs> I feel for you. Yeah. <laughs> especially if it's something you don't want to discuss but you feel like you're pulled into it well and it just Um, becomes shouting matches like and not even between me like a a couple of times i've lost my shit and just been like you're crazy like this is you know i i don't even know what you're talking about anymore but like my husband he because he he feels of course it's his parents so he can totally go off on them um and it's funny my mother-in-law will just sit there like she she is a regular conservative if you know what i mean like so uh she i don't think she's gone full conspiracy theory like she'll be like he's crazy like talking about her husband (laughs) she's like i can't stop him i'm like you have to take the computer away from him you know 
Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's guess- it's hard. It's hard. And I think it's happened to a lot of families. I think it's like really broken up a lot of people. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's um, opened a lot of people's eyes. And, yeah. yeah. It's definitely like these past two years, man. I, I don't know how else to say it, but this, this shit is crazy. <laughs> no, no, it is. It completely is. Is your boyfriend or your partners, um, are, are they his parents in the area like do you see them a lot yeah they actually they actually live across the street from us oh that's oh that's right yeah. right that's right mm-hmm. you but you are renting the house across the street or are you correct okay mm-hmm. awesome so his sister his sister actually used to live here and when they moved to california the the the, fa- the home was open mm-hmm. and um in terms of this was kind of the best case scenario he and his father they work in the same place and so he could drive them to work they can go together it just Oh, he so they like re- they're really family. close. Oh yeah, I like my we're in a two bedroom house, and my um my stipulation for moving in with him and leaving Jersey City was that I for in our two bedrooms, one of the bedrooms would officially be like my yard craft room. But like I look out the window and it's their house, so I can oh, see nice. them when they come home. I can see them when they leave. <laughs> Does that feel like uh, a little too close, or do you like it? No, it's fine. Yeah, I, don't, I don't mind it all. No, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I must have I must have some issues because I'm always like <laughs> if I think about because my parents just uh, my dad just retired and like they're trying to figure out where to go. And it's like as much as I want to be close, I'm like, but I don't want to be too close, you know. And then like my uh, it was actually nice with my uh, in-laws used to live in Brooklyn. So they would watch our kids, um, you know, pretty when we were in Jersey City, especially like they would take the kids all the time. Um, and it was especially at, at a point, like it was when my kids were very young, when I really needed the breaks, you know, right. it's, which was so helpful and so valuable for us. Um, but it's funny now they're like, now that we're in Texas, like we moved here because we thought you were going to move here. We're like, you can't, you can't uh, make make your life decisions based on like what we might do or what we might not do or whatever. But like, I wonder, like, there, I don't know if it's like the teenage rebellious rebellion rebel in me that i don't want like parents so close like i don't know do i have some weird issue i don't know See, i think it depends on your relationship with them yeah. like we we joke my partner and i joke that we're gonna buy like a two-family home and stick his parents on one side and stick my parents at the other yeah um, but like my parents like they have definitely built a community for themselves like back in virginia where i grew up they have a huge group of friends like my parents um like sometimes we joke like when we go home to visit say it's like for three days and for two of the nights my parents have plans they like won't cancel them (laughs) (laughs) oh that's see that's really they're very independent that's good oh my gosh yes my dad has um he's a swati so he's he's a year of the ox Mm -hmm. so he has a group of friends where they're all the same age so this year, actually, I think this year was the year of all their birthdays. They turned 60, which is pretty. Oh, they're young. Used to be you have young bigger. parents. Yeah. 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 It used to be a big deal in Korean culture to turn 60. But now they, now yeah. he says like 80s, the new 60s. Yeah, and don't yeah. celebrate his 60th birthday. But um, it's pretty dope. I mean, he sees these men like three times a, a week, like as a group. And then he sees like one of his friends on the regular every day. So it's. I um, admire what they have going for themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's super cool. Like my my dad is now 75 and it's kind of sad. I mean, now that they're older, they're like, he's like, he's the last person out of all of his friends to retire. 
And so he even told me, he's yeah, like, he's retired a little later. Yeah. yeah, late, like, um, and he told me this literally, I mean, he retired like two weeks ago. So, um, I was like, you know, dad, how do you feel? You're finally free. Right. And like, and like, I feel bad because my sister and I couldn't go there on his last day. I don't know what we would have done because they weren't really throwing a party. I don't know. I don't with COVID and things like things just got kind of screwed up. But, um, uh, I'm like, how do you feel, Appa? And he's like, you know, to be honest, feels a little empty. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. It was and that's like the first time he's ever said anything like honest and emotional to me. Like ever. Okay. Like ever. Even in my grand my my grandma's funeral, like, you know, I saw him like shed a tear, but he like didn't say anything. Right. Everything's been quiet. He's a very silent man. Um, and I like couldn't believe you said that and then now i like i'm so worried about him because my parents were saying like even trying to figure out where to retire they're like well you know most of our friends have died i'm like oh my god oh my god God, this is crazy or they're just not like they're not in in the physical shape to even be you know like active retirees so i'm like and my parents are actually in pretty good health so i don't know i don't know what my point is it's just that like it's it's scary this part of this have to move to Virginia. I'll come up with my parents. Well, they were looking at Virginia <laughs> a lot, a lot, because like there may be they have like three friends who are still left in that mm-hmm. area that like um, that are still active and stuff. So actually, whenever they visit New Jersey and stay with me, they'll take like a drive down to Virginia, visit some friends, look at houses to re- to, to possibly retire by. Um, I think they're waiting now because the market's gone too crazy. But um, yeah, no, they love Virginia. It's so funny. <laughs> I bet you know. I bet in some ways our parents are probably connected. By like three degrees of separation. They know, they, they know someone who knows someone. For sure. At probably. church. Yep. <laughs> For Community sure. is important. Yeah, so. definitely. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like they're going to end up staying with me a lot. You know what I realized as I was mentioning that like I must have some kind of weird issue. And it is. I have a very weird issue with my, with my parents. Like we're, we're good. I would say I would say you are one of the only people, only Korean Americans that I know who have a really, sounds like a super healthy relationship with your parents. I think you might be the only one. Um, but mine with my parents is always so fraught. And it's not, my my dad is great, actually. He's great. Maybe because he's silent usually, but <laughs> my mom, just like she's the naggiest of nags. So I welcome them into my house. I'm happy to have them. Be- also, because they are pretty independent too. Like they'll go visit friends and um, and family or whatever. But whenever they're here, my mom just like, oh, she just finds things wrong with everything. So she'll like buy a new sink drain filter because <laughs> she doesn't like the one we're using. Or like, and it's all I think she thinks she's helping. But the right. way I perceive it is all judgment. And I don't know if that's just me or like, I don't know. Everything that just comes out, I don't know if it's like a the Korean um, English language barrier too, because right. I understand Korean, but I always respond in English. Mm-hmm. And it just, I think coming, I don't know, maybe it's just because it sounds harsher or like. I think you, I mean, you have the context of your relationship with her. Right. And I would say like me and my parents, like I come part mentalized pretty well mm-hmm. so there's always that language barrier um my korean is good it's not i'm not like fluent by any means but i've definitely found like as i've gotten older i've um i think everyone goes through a period where they find out like your parents aren't 
you know, superheroes. Right. And you kind of go through that period. And then, but now I'm, as I'm getting older and learning so much more about them and who they are as people Mm -hmm. rather than just like as my parents. So it's like learning more about their financial situation or learning more about, they're just so much more open and they treat me more like an adult as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely blossoming into a relationship that I like, I enjoy like my mom and I will talk on the phone for so much longer than I ever had when I was younger. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely enjoying this like new season of our relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say it has definitely for me gotten way better as I've yeah. gotten older because I think <laughs> right. they've learned or she's my mom has learned to mostly um, bite her tongue when she sees things. But like the last time she visited, they we had the best visit. They were here for like a full week. Mm-hmm. And it was like the day before she, the night before she left, she had to like drop like she dropped two bombs about things she's unhappy about in my life, you know, and you they're stupid things. Kids. So you have like another layer of like relationship there. Like, like I don't have any children. Um, yeah. So you have, you kind of have like that to deal with in terms of like, if she says anything about your parenting or your children. So no. Like, yeah. And it's not I even that. It. <laughs> it's not even that. Like uh, that kind of stuff I kind of understand, but it's like nitpicky, like stupid stuff that honestly she could, come and go without saying anything. It was like the last like time- Like your hair heard, color or something? <laughs> no, well, no. And that's one thing actually she does not say anything about because she's okay. used to this. To, like, I'm going to change it. Like, she used to be like, your hair's all going to fall out. And now that I have so much hair, I'm like, you know, really? It's not going anywhere. But um, it was <laughs> so stupid. The shower, she was like, the kids need a shower um, that like has a handle that can come off, you know, so they can cl- get cleaner. I'm like, my kids, are you telling me my kids are dirty? <laughs> like this is what I, this is how I interpret it. And then the other thing, and like you know what the thing is, she's probably right. It, they probably would enjoy a shower head that they can um, hold. But because she said it, I'm not going to do it. And then um, what was the other one? Oh, my husband had he, he put in closet systems in the kids' room, like really good ones, you know, with drawers and a bunch of different levels of hanging stuff. And he did it while they were visiting. And um, she was like, "What happened up there?" Because there was like some angle that didn't look exactly flush with the wall. And <laughs> it was like, why don't you just say good job? You know what I mean? Like she had to like pick, point at something and like totally nitpick at it. And she fixated too. Like she, she didn't just like let it go after that. We were like, oh, mom, I don't. We were like, okay, great, whatever. And she's like, no, but why did you do it this way? And and my husband finally was like, um, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, right? And then she just kept going on and on about how it should be one way. And he just kept going, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And then finally, he goes, fine, next time you can just, oh, no, she goes, she goes, next time, let me be your assistant, like it, like cutting the wood so that I can do it properly. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, why? You know there's, a, there's an episode, there's this um, podcast I listened to with like different therapy sessions. Mm-hmm. And there was one that I think actually reminds me a lot of. That. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. That's the one thing. We've I'll never done you. therapy. Like I've never done family therapy or whatever. Oh my God. I think that things that would come out. Oh, <laughs> be so. I don't know that they would ever do it. But um, no, I'm sure at this age, they would probably never do it. They also do not want people looking into their lives, which is funny since I now spew it all on a public <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but they'll never listen yeah. to it. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, who Who thought this would come out in a fiber podcast? I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I share everything. If people ask, I share. Even if people don't ask, I share. So whatever. This is my therapy, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, um, so do your do your parents get along with your partner? 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think um, like my mom has used to always say like she'd prefer me with someone Korean just due to the language barrier. Mm. Uh, she like wants to, but then later she was like, you know what? She's like, how often would I talk to them anyway? So they're definitely of the, like I keep on like they're definitely of the opinion like as long as I'm happy they trust me to make my own choices um but like me relaying about how much like similarities we have in terms of having immigrant parents and how much he does for his parents like they really respect that from him that's great yeah so. I know I think when they see that kind of thing they they just they worry less you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think for me my husband it was more I think it was less about him not being Korean, which was surprising to me. Um, I thought they were going to make a big deal about that. And it was less that. And it was more that he was Jewish because my parents are very, very, very Christian. So mm-hmm. I think they were worried about that. But I mean, I don't go to church anymore, really. So <laughs> I think that's actually their biggest issue with our family <laughs> in general. Like that, I, I'm sure it breaks their heart a bit. But I've got too many complex uh feelings about that i'm not gonna get into yeah we've we've spoken about it yeah i can relate (laughs) yeah yeah it's just different now i don't know i think the churches are changing too though to be honest i think things are even getting more progressive in the church like my mom they just um made her an elder which is huge i think in the presbyterian church it wasn't until like a couple years ago that they allowed that so that's a step you know because she's a woman like right right. and women are like the heart of most Korean churches yeah. though. Like it's well, the women who, who plan everything, who like like these churches wouldn't exist without the women everything. running them. They do all so, the yeah. every administrative thing that you could think of, mm-hmm. they do and execute. Like even the the flowers. I mean it's a silly example, but yeah. but it's true. But to be honest, I think that's exactly what happened in Jesus's time too. It was like Mary Mag- <laughs> Mary Magdalene and he had just like a I mean I was gonna say harem of women. Not a harem, but like um I mean, he was, he was deep. It was all women around him, basically. And then like the a few apostles that were the quote unquote leaders. But the women did everything. The women bankrolled everything. Um, do you ever listen to Rob Bell? Have you heard of him? Oh, he's just like, he's like a spiritual. He's like the one guy that led me back to Christianity in a, in a different way. Like more more like um, the way the Bible was meant to be read and interpreted and not the way they did it in our churches. It's different. I don't know. It's a really interesting thing. He wrote this book called yeah. um, What is the Bible? And when I read that, I was like, oh, like things super clicked for me. And I was like, oh, I mean, because that's not the way it was taught, you know, like with females being in power. It was not the way it was taught. And, it, and when you look at it in the way that Jesus traveled and the way things were funded and all this, it was like women did it all. That's a long tangent. I but. think, yeah, I mean, I, I for like as someone who like grew up attending church, um, I think a lot of people go through that revolution of like in like college where you try to figure out like what it's so hard to like divorce yourself from something where you were taught it as truth. Mm-hmm. So rediscovering it as an adult is definitely a different experience or, or finding God or Christ when you're older mm-hmm. and under your own volition is so it's, it's so different. Um, for me, like it's definitely it's a struggle, but I had a cousin of mine who passed away when he was, God, I think he was like 20. Um, and in, and he had such strong faith that ultimately, mm-hmm. like wherever he is, is where I want to be. So that kind of tethers me to that. Yeah. I mean, right now, I pretty much only pray in like extreme extreme times of duress or like 
on on a plane. <laughs> oh. it's, it's habitual, you know. Like, I can't <laughs> when you're taking off, off. <laughs> yeah, I do that too. When I'm taking off. Off. Yeah. So like, like that's never gonna leave me. Um, but it's definitely it's it's a journey, right? So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think what was hard as a kid too is like I don't we weren't encouraged to ask questions. I think mm, it was just like just listen to the message, absorb it, take it in, think about it, whatever, but don't really ask questions about it, you know? And um, I mean, I remember being in church camp, like Korean church camp, and someone asked like a question about, um, because in the Bible, uh, it was like, um, I think after Cain killed Abel, they skip over this whole part where Cain ends up going to whatever land and there's a whole group of people there. So he's like, where'd all those people come from? <laughs> and if they're valid question, the third and fourth people on the earth, like yeah. true valid question. Yeah. <laughs> and then like we were at church camp and I think the person, the whoever the minister was, was just like, there are some things we just don't know. <laughs> it was like, okay, <laughs> which is probably true. Um, but you know, you just like, you go, oh, okay. Then what they're saying is not all, how do I believe all of this then? You know? But anyway, that is definitely a conversation for another time yeah. that none of us are going to be able to answer, <laughs> I guess. Anyway, oh my gosh, it's been over an hour. Um, Alyssa, thank you for coming You're back welcome. on. Um, this is actually really fun to chat more about like our families and stuff. I don't know if anyone's going to relate to this. If you guys are still listening, thank they you. They were like, where is the fiber? <laughs> <laughs> I know. But you know what, though? I mean, how? here's the thing. And I, I said this. I don't know if I said this on record or not with the last person I was talking to. It was like, I would like to talk about the art, but there's only much, so much we can talk about the art. Like, I think some people actually have a hard time talk, talking about what they make because they it's intuitive. They make it, it's intuitive. The way that they approach the creativity is like, I like color. I don't like color. I, You know what I mean? Um, I think about different color palettes by looking at nature. And it's like, a lot of us, I think, are inspired by a lot of similar... This, the same things. We're all getting kind of the same inspiration. So I was thinking even with the podcast, I think I was at like a, I was at a, I kind of hit a wall with it because I was like, I think we're all, I'm just, I'm just going to get the same answers from people, you know? So I'm like, what I think is more in interesting is the people who are creating the work and who they are and the lives they come from and the people they come from. You know what I mean? Like just hearing about people's. Feel... Right. Like on Instagram, I do love, um, I've definitely made friends off of it. And I feel like I know these people. Totally. Like even, I mean, I, I personally don't share so much about my personal life just because I, I don't know how to and I hate being in front of the camera. And I don't know if people are interested in that, which I find funny because I'm I'm so interested. I like want to see what your kids are doing. and. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, totally. an aspect of Instagram I love. Yeah, I um, know, exactly. And, you know, people can talk about their personal lives on Instagram, and we do, but I think the attention span is so low when you when you can condense it all into like an hour-long podcast and talk about the things that you're feeling and whatever it is, you know? I don't know, it, it's like a easier way to um, absorb the information and get the information about what's happening behind, behind the work, you know? To the person who's creating the work, which for me, I don't know, I just find, I find more, um, more interesting and more dynamic, you know, because that's someplace well, like we all come together and we all have a commonality with the fiber. Right. But where we don't have the commonality is like who, who we are and who, you know, like the person who's creating the work. So anyway, that's why I get into the stuff that's not actually yeah. fiber related. Right. 
I am I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Alyssa. Thanks again. And um, I guess one more time, if you can just uh, let people know where they can find you. So my Instagram handle is, it's so S-O-L-I-P. It's Tulip. It's actually my Korean name. Um, it's my middle name. And when I first made the handle, I figured it's, it's funny in high school. I was like, you know what? When I go to college, I'm going to make people call me Tulip. That never happened. Like my first name is Alyssa. That's what I go by. Um, but I figured, you know, like I'm, I'm proud of being, of being Korean. It's in my, it's in my bio. Might as well put it out for people. Um, and when I first started, I, I really thought I'd go beyond just weaving, but that's why that's where the DIY comes from. But ah, um, nice. yeah, so it's Tulip DIY and it's S-O-L-A-P-D-I-Y.com. Nice. Thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. Actually, this brings me to one more question, though. Mm -hmm. If yeah. you had more time, what mm -hmm. kinds of things would you want to be experimenting with in your DIY world? I would definitely work on installations. Like, I just, I want to work on, like, big pieces. Um, yeah. Um, any other kind of craft, in like, in the craft world or whatever? Because you were saying you would have wanted, you might have wanted it to be, like, more with the DIY, with the Solip DIY. Mm -hmm. In any other industry well, so or just in, in fiber? I would say like yarn and fiber is like what gets me going. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I definitely, I uh, got, in, got a sewing machine for Christmas last year and oh, I've yay. always wanted to like quilt. Um, and so I just haven't, I took lessons for a little bit, but like time is limited and weaving takes up so much of it. And like willingly, like I love it so much that I don't have like, like the capacity yet to go on the sewing route but hopefully yeah you'll, you'll find it you'll find it eventually yeah eventually right <laughs> it'll like, work its way in it's like all in right totally i think like yeah those things come to us when um like at the right times when we're when we need them you know yeah i mean but like you know three years in and the weaving is still going strong totally i know that's why i, I still like it i still marvel that you're um you know still working totally full-time and then weaving full-time mm -hmm. like girl make sure yeah, you I sleep yeah definitely <laughs> oh, I, uh, I get plenty of sleep. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I just, I, I like, personally don't have plans on taking weaving full time, but it, that's partly because I, I have like no business sense whatsoever. And but I really sure admire, I really admire people <laughs> who are able to do it. So full support, like I buy classes from everyone. I, I buy yarn from everyone. I buy a yarn from people who don't even realize. Like, I use a different email. So it's not like I use my, like, IG handle at all. Oh, so right. So it's funny. I, yeah, so I'll, like, post things in my stories and people don't even realize that I bought them. Oh. <laughs> but I'm a, it's a hobby in itself, just, you know, the sheer consumption, but. Yeah. Well, you are a full, yeah, full-on fiber supporter, which is amazing. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, if you look at my <laughs> Even history, me personally, like, my, purchases, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my shop is like, oh, Alyssa, Alyssa, Alyssa. Yeah, 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 yeah. You and my art yarn have a very nice relationship. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, because I, you know, makes me happy every time I can see it in one of your pieces, so. Gosh. All right. Well, thanks again. I'm sure I will okay. be talking to you soon. Hey, bye. Check the show notes of each episode to get the website and Instagram for each of the fiber artists I speak with. Be sure to give them a follow. And you can view video from this podcast on naromastudio.com slash the fiber artist podcast. If you enjoy the fiber artist podcast, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.